I don't know about you, but we're always looking for ways to get our kids involved and give back in our local community. That's why we're excited to tell you about Student Visionaries of the Year, a campaign by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, which is the largest nonprofit organization dedicated to creating a world without blood cancers. Student Visionaries of the Year is a seven-week philanthropic leadership development program for high school students. Participants form strong teams and fundraise in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor in their local community. I would love for Violet to do this program when she's in high school. This program is transformative. It not only helps students develop valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship, not to mention it looks great on college applications, but most importantly, it's also a chance for them to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on blood cancer patients and their families. You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at lls.org slash students. That's lls.org slash students. The following podcast contains explicit language. Do we have a meeting tomorrow? No, we have nothing. No meetings. Free day! Should we perhaps go to Benihana? We should. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in L.A., and with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 19 years, Liz. That's me, Liz Craft. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. This week, we talked to up-and-coming TV writer Brooke Sitgraves-Turner about her first experience as a staff writer on The Fix, what was the best part, what was the worst, and most importantly, what advice does she have for aspiring Hollywood writers? Then in Take a Hike, we talk about the concept of Swedish death cleaning and why we should all get rid of our stuff now. Finally, this week's Hollywood Hack offers another solution to the ongoing problem of how to achieve what I call meeting hair. Okay, Sarah, let's dive into From the Treadmill Desk of, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And this week, it's being a staff writer on a TV show, and we're getting a report from the front lines. (laughs) A lot of shows have just started up this season's writer's room, which means all over Los Angeles, there are brand new staff writers. And for anyone who doesn't know what a staff writer is, it's the lowest level of writer on a TV show. And it is a huge deal to get your first staff writer position. Yes. And we've talked about this before, but we want to revisit it with someone who's just completed her first season as a staff writer. Of course, the person we know best in that position is Brooke Sitgraves-Turner. Brooke, welcome. Welcome hey, back. Y'all. Hey, Thanks so good for to having see me. you, Brooke. Good to see you, too. Um, now, Sarah, we've got to tell everyone, um, part of what inspired this segment was our Happier in Hollywood writers retreat. Yes. Um, because Brooke was at the retreat, um, and everyone knew she was a staff writer on The Fix. And we heard um, from many people after the retreat that they would have loved to hear more from Brooke. That. Right. She was exactly where they want to be, and they would have loved sort of Brooke to have her own session to talk about being a staff writer. So we thought, well, let's do do that session on the show. Yes, because we finally did do our surveys after the retreat. And this was the feedback we got, which we really appreciate, and we're taking it to heart. So 
Brooke is here, everyone. To share her experiences. (laughs) Hopefully I have some gems. (laughs) We'll see. So, Brooke, was it what you expected? That's my first question. You know, it was. Um, I mean, the great thing is you're finally doing the job you've always wanted to do, which is so cool. And I'd worked with you two and Marsha before, so I kind of had a sense of what the vibe would be. Yeah. Uh, And thankfully, everyone in the room was awesome. So, yeah, it was totally we Everything do I have a no and more. policy. We yeah. do. And, um, and that, sometimes people slip through. Yes. But for sure on that show, everybody was a really nice person yeah. and very supportive of the lower level writers. Yes. Oh, my God. So supportive. So was there anything surprising about it? Like, was there anything that kind of made you go, oh, huh? I don't think so. Honestly, I, you guys had prepared me so well for this experience that it really didn't feel like anything surprising to me, you know? Well, what do you, is there anything that you think would surprise other people? Like Mm. the, because what surprised me, Mm. I will say, when we got our first job was how hard it was for me to follow the conversation. Yes, how fast it moves. It really does, for us, it felt like a different language the first couple months. Yeah, I had no idea. People, here I think we're talking about the second scene of Act 1, and suddenly someone's like, and then in the fourth act break, this happens, and I had no (laughs) idea what was happening. Well, see, you two prepped me for that, though. Yes, we did. You said, hey, it's going to be difficult to follow the conversation sometimes. Give yourself a break. So I was like, oh, yeah, I have no idea what they're talking about, but that's fine. (laughs) And also for you, you had been, like, we are in many ways sort of a mini writer's room, and certainly with Marsha, we were like a mini writer's room. So you had been following that conversation, yeah, you know, for a couple years prior to being in the room. And had been in a room as a writer's assistant on a show prior, so it just Mm -hmm. felt like another... Right. Just now you were sort of at the table instead of taking notes. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I can talk in here. <laughs> yeah. Now, was it scary the first day? The first day was scary. Um, yeah. I mean, I can't really describe that feeling again. It was because you just want to come in with great ideas and, you know, but a lot of it is sort of figuring out who's in the room, what their styles are, how they best contribute and kind of mm. where you can plug in. Oh, interesting. Even considering the whole fact that like staff writers should be solving problems and all that, that's definitely key thing, but also just knowing like how you fit in on the team as it exists. That's interesting. Yeah. Like kind of just sussing out the personalities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a lot of it. Yeah, that takes time. It really does. So did you, I'm curious, like go home and come up with ideas to pitch the next day? Kind of how did you approach it? Okay, so, and this is something I would tell everyone, and I'm sure a lot of staff writers do this, but I was like, every morning I'm going to have five pitches for the day. Mm. And even if we don't get to them, or if they end up being terrible, or if someone pitches them before me, at least I feel it's like a little security blanket. Yeah, Like, I did the work before the room, so I have some things to talk about. And it's not like I have to come up with, you know, ideas in the moment. So that was a lot of, it took a lot of the pressure off, which was nice. That's a great idea. Mm -hmm. And then if there was something in particular that we were stuck on the day before, I would stay after the room and just like work really hard to come up with a solution. And everyone in the room was so cool because you could, you know, soft pitch them ideas before the room. And like I would go to Jerome before and be like, hey, I know we had this problem. Like, what do you think about this solution? Should I pitch it? And he would be like, oh, yeah, great. Bring that up. Uh, So so that's a great thing we should take a moment to talk about that as a staff writer, you can use the upper level writers as resources to help you so you don't feel like you just have to go to the showrunner all the time. In this case, we were the showrunners. Um, you can 
sort of bring the the upper level writers into your fold, get them invested in you, have them help you. And if they're good, they should, you know, absolutely want to do that. Yeah. And I think you're a very smart in picking Jerome. I think on our show, literally, you could have gone to anyone. Yes. But it is a really good idea to find, like, a person who you know will be open and responsive. Literally anyone on our yeah. show. Yeah, that was, that that I was just thinking, like, <laughs> but I'm like, Denise, Jerome yeah, is so nice. Yeah. You know, I can just see him being like, oh, yeah, and enthusiastic. Yeah, yeah. He, he does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He would come in early and I'd be like in the office because I'd get in early and work on stuff before. And I'd just poke my head out like, hey, Jerome, question. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, Corey and Denise were also super helpful and Kathy was awesome. So everyone was great. Yeah, yeah. And something you just mentioned, Brooke, that you would get to work early. I think that's a really good idea for a staff writer it because is. there's nothing that makes a better impression, you know, than walking into an office and seeing that someone is there before you are. And we don't, I mean, I, I don't demand people be at the office and care about FaceTime and all no. that. But what it does is it, 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 suggests that you're very enthusiastic about yeah. the show. And that is so important to feel like the writers care. And I think when you're a staff writer, that's an easy way to communicate you care. And staying late is another. We, we yes. talk often about Drew Goddard <laughs> yes. on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which was his first job as a staff writer, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Um, and everybody on that show would leave because it was like there were several seasons in. It was a very upper-level staff. People would be like, all right, if Joss isn't coming in yet, we're out of here. <laughs> but Drew Goddard would stay. And then when Joss got there and At was like ready— maybe 11 p.m. Yeah, to kind of talk something through, Drew would be there. Yeah. And, like, that was huge, huge. And then they ended up becoming, like, best friends. Yeah. And Drew, I'm sure we don't need to tell anyone, is— um, become hugely successful, as he should. He's an amazing writer. Yeah. So, Brooke, stay. So, Brooke, yeah, good You're doing move. the right thing. Yeah. Coming early, stay late. Yeah, staying late is huge. Even for, um, like, there would be times where you guys were working on rewrites, and I would, like, I would say if you don't have kids or, you know, a significant other that demands more of your time, just just put the time in and stay. Because I would even learn just by listening to you and Marsha work through mm. all of the changes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there good. is a point at which that becomes abusive. So, yes. you know, be don't if you're in a situation where you feel like you have to do that, that's problematic. But yeah, if you can, if you're getting something out of it, yes. like you're saying, yeah, then it's a good thing to do. Yeah. And you all would definitely be like, Brooke, you can go home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I'm just curious, do you feel like you were heard in the room? Because I do think that's a problem that many staff writers face. I mean, I know we've dealt with this before, where you have ideas, but it feels like people pass them over? Mm -hmm. hmm, that's a really good question. I do feel like I was heard in the room. I definitely think that I had to get better about communicating my pitches. Mm, and that's something talk about I got that. better at over the course of the series and hopefully we'll get even better at. Um, but there were times like I would pitch an idea and people would be like, okay, the room was so nice. I cannot like yeah. emphasize that enough because no one was ever like, oh, that's a shitty idea. Right. They would say, oh, okay, well, what about this? And just pivot. And you knew at that point, like, that's not what we were yeah. doing. Um, and I know they say not to 
like if you pitch something and it doesn't land, to never pitch it again, you know, to kind of like move away from it. But I will say I pitched something in the room and I didn't do a very good job of pitching it. And I kind of knew after. Mm. And I talked to one of the other writers after and I said, hey, you know, I pitched this idea. And they were like, that's not what you said in the room. What oh. you just said is not what you said in the room. And I was like, oh. I didn't explain that well. So I actually went and found Jerome after the room and was like, hey, I have this idea. It was for episode five. Um, and I was like, this is what I meant to say. I'm not sure that I said that in the room. And he was like, oh, that's good. Like, we should talk about that. So, yeah, I basically realized I wasn't communicating my ideas that clearly. So I'm getting better at that. Oh, yeah. that's really interesting. I mean, I know we feel like we wished you would talk more in the room. Yeah, I was curious about whether you talked more in the room when we weren't there than you did when we were there. That's possible. Because often, I think, staff writers will will talk more when the showrunner is not there. Yes. Because it's easier and it feels, you know, lower stakes. And it's a more, it can be a more casual conversation. And then the showrunner comes in and people kind of clam up. Yeah, and I think that's a problem because in your case, it's not because we know you and you can just pitch things directly to us. But if a showrunner doesn't know you, how are they getting to know you if yeah, you don't say talking. anything? Mm -hmm. So on your next show where we're not there or, you know, hopefully we'll have a show, maybe you will be there. <laughs> but um, but I think you want to make sure the showrunner hears you contributing because then they go, oh, that person's valuable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even though it's hard. I mean, I was, as I've said many times, <laughs> terrified when we started. Terrified. I mean. Right. There was no one more clammed up than no you when one. Joss walked in the room. No <laughs> It was oh, complete so hell. So um, I'm so sympathetic to everyone suffering from that. But just yeah. try to make yourself do it. I will say the one thing that's not. So I was never afraid to contribute in the room, but I will say that when there were more people in the room, I'm a, I'm like a listener. Mm. And so I would, you know, I'm like listening to everyone, trying to figure out, you know, what's being said and then also how I can best contribute and or fix a problem that's coming up. Um, and so a lot of it was trying to anticipate when's a good time to interject, when's a good time to talk, when there are a lot of voices. So I would say hopefully I'm better at that now. But um, definitely if the room is, when the room got down, if you guys were out of the room, you, Marsha, um, and, you know, if Corey was out of the room, it's like, okay, now the room is five people. Right. And it's easier to kind of jump in and contribute. Yes. Yeah. That is, it's a very tricky thing. And then let's, it's not all about the room. Um, it's also about writing. Mm -hmm. Now, Brooke, you wrote great stuff for us. Great. I think everyone was, you know, really impressed Thanks, with your um, level of writing, um, especially for a staff writer. Yes. Um, you made our lives much easier. Yes, we knew we could give you scenes to write and they would be good and, and they would be, a, you know, uh, something we could use. Um, how did you find the writing? Was that, I would imagine if I had to guess that that was maybe your favorite part. Um, yeah, it was my I don't favorite know. part. No, it was <laughs> so great. Honestly, yeah. It's funny because people would ask me, like, how is the job? Do you actually love the job? Because a lot of this, like, for so long, you're an assistant and you're writing on your own. Um, and you're just like, oh, you're waiting for your first job. And then there is a little bit of, it's not fear, but you can't really describe the feeling. It's just like, I have this job. I really hope I like it. Like, I've been yeah. working so hard for this right. thing. I hope I enjoy it. Yeah. And it was great. It was wonderful. Yeah. And did you think your writing improved being on a staff? Oh, absolutely. Oh, and, really? Yeah. And I know and you why? guys hate when I say this, but I do think that, I don't know, a lot of people don't give folks a shot and hire them before they're like absolutely ready. And I do feel like having been in the room, having um, 
then worked, you know, because we did group writing for a lot of the episodes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Having then uh, gone off and written and then going to combine them and sort of working on our own scenes again and then also working on stuff other people had, had you know, written was so helpful. Oh, good. And just sort of in the structuring of a scene and in dialogue. I mean, um, it was great. It was a class. It was a master class. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Yay. Glad to hear that. Well, one other, I, I think, amazing quality that you have um, is you're just a positive presence. Yeah. Like you're someone that people want to be around and you kind of bring just like a lightness, a lightness to things. And we have other friends who are like that. Uh, Sherry, I'm thinking of Sherry. Like, it's so nice to have that person in the room. Does Is that just who you are? Is that something you work on? How can other people yes. who want to be staff writers, how can they attain some of that? Ooh, that's so deep, guys. Thanks. <laughs> um, you know, like I'm generally like this. <laughs> I don't I don't know. You're just you. I think people need to <laughs> meditate. Um, yeah, I guess I'm all about making sure that I'm, the energy I'm bringing to people is good. And I'm very conscious of that. So just get conscious of that. Uh, intention. Yeah, we talk about intention, intention a lot. It's yeah. important. Yeah. yeah. And Brooke, you've—I feel like you've already given people great advice, which is to sort of maybe have five pitches ready as a security blanket. Mm -hmm. Any other thing that sticks out to you? Um, like, I know if it were me, I would say, don't you know, sit and eat snacks all day. <laughs> I so I, knew you were going to say that. I did oh my god! When I started and gained fifteen <laughs> pounds. Um, any so <laughs> other piece of advice that you want to give to all the aspiring um, television writers out there? I made a list. Oh, um, you did. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Comes I, prepared. I always forget things. Um, I know we talked a lot about this, but uh, yes, utilize the staff and go out pitch things to people if you're not comfortable or sure of it enough to pitch it in the room first. Um, I could have been spoiled, but, you know, people were great. Uh, what else? Oh, and this actually might take some time. Like, you might not even know this until your second job. But just figure out what your strengths are in the room and lean ah, into them. And also, you know, as I said before, pay attention to who's in the room, what kind of role that they're playing, and how you can best be a part of that team. Do the shit that no one else wants to do. Ooh, that is <laughs> good key. advice. Um, so, yeah, right sides and do, I mean, really, whatever it is that anyone doesn't want to do, jump on it. I think that is fantastic advice because that is a way where you can really make yourself so useful. And then people start thinking you, of you as a go-to person and yep. then they'll give you more and more. Mm -hmm. Oh, I would absolutely visit other sets, especially if your showrunners are going to allow you to produce your episode. Go to set. Uh, that was so helpful to me to go to set and meet everybody there and also just see what the other writer producers were doing. That is another, gosh, mm -hmm. you're just full of amazing I advice, Brooke. That is really I think good. That is so good. Like, we would say, we'd see you leaving, and, and we'd say, oh, what are you doing tonight? And you go, oh, I'm going to the shoot, you know, in Hollywood. And and we were like, wow, look at Brooke, like, <laughs> showing up. And again, it's the, not only do you learn a lot on set, um, but it shows that you care about the show, and people just want it know that the people on the show care about it. Yeah. yeah. As a new writer, like you're new to this whole world, but you're working with people that have been doing it for 15, 20 yes. years. Yeah, that's true. And so you're expected to sort of make sure everything's cool and give a note if necessary. And it's just kind of like, there's a moment where you just think, well, who the fuck am I? Like they've been doing this forever. What business do I have telling them? And the truth is like, I would try to remember a couple of things. And one was like, you've been in the room the whole time. 
Mm. with the showrunners. So, you know, you have that knowledge that they might not have. And then the second thing is there's so many things going on on set and so many things for even the director, even if they're the producing director, to focus on and, like, pay attention to that things slip through the cracks. So, like, you're a safeguard. So it's Mm. about, you know, you're not saying I know better than you. You're just kind of like, hey. Yes, because you know the intention, yeah. and and yeah. you and and you might get blamed if that intention doesn't end up on the screen. So if you're on set, you got to speak up. Mm-hmm. Great advice. Yeah. My final thing, well, my almost final thing, <laughs> <laughs> I would say always be writing. Mm. And this is something I didn't do very well because I was actually very anxious about uh, my first show. So. My downtime, I was like doing research or rereading something um, or looking at notes. But I would say whatever, if you need another sample, write that, you know, mm. spend whatever spare time you have working on your stuff because the show, you need another sample probably. Yeah. The show will end. <laughs> the show, show will end. If you're on a new show, there's like an insane percentage chance that it won't be picked up, mm-hmm. as happened to us. Um, <laughs> and getting the second job can be almost as hard as getting the first job. Yes. Um, the second job <laughs> yes, yeah. is very important, which leads us, by the way, to letting everyone know in this agentless world that Brooke is available for staffing. We highly recommend her. She's fantastic. And I will talk more, y'all. Um, and she has great ideas. She's she a great, great writer. Ideas. She's a great cheerleader. She's great on set. Um, so if you are out there and you would like to meet with Brooke about being on your show, um, send an email to happierinhollywood at gmail.com and we will make sure she gets it. Coming up, we discuss a concept that comes from my favorite country, Sweden. But first, this break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Okay, Sarah, it is time for Take a Hike, in which we discuss mental, physical, or spiritual health. And today it's mental, Swedish <laughs> death cleaning. Yay. Now, this, Swedish death yes, cleaning. This is inspired by Margarita Magnuson's book. Um, it's called The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning How to Free Yourself and Your Family from a Lifetime of Clutter. Yes. And should I read—let me read the Amazon description of the book. Okay, I can't wait until you pronounce the Swedish word. Oh, wait. You know what, Sarah? (laughs) You read it. Oh, shoot. (laughs) I should have kept my mouth shut. (laughs) 
Here's how Amazon, okay, sorry. In Sweden, there's a kind of decluttering called, and I'm going to butcher this too, de stedning. De means death, and stedning means cleaning. This surprising and invigorating process of clearing out unnecessary belongings can be undertaken at any age or life stage, but should be done sooner than later before others have to do it for you. Um, I agree with that. So the basic idea is none of us should leave our stuff behind for loved ones to deal with. Yes. And um, this has come up in your life, unfortunately, recently, (laughs) um, because both of your parents passed away. You're an only child, so you have received everything. Yes, and my mom was an only child also. So she so my had mom received everything and then she had Alzheimer's and couldn't deal with everything. And then so the everything of like four people then landed on me. Um, and my dad recently died. And interestingly, he and my stepmom did clear out a lot of stuff because my they moved to a smaller place. Mm-hmm. And then my stepmom has since moved again. So between the two of them, they really did this. Like, they did a lot of work to pare down. And I will just say, as the person to whom things descend, it's much easier. Um, Like, the stuff from my dad's side, I think I have, like, five boxes, Mm -hmm. maybe, and a bunch of pictures. and But it's all, like, meaningful things that, you know, are kind of add to my life. Right. Whereas when, because you have been dealing with sort of your mom's stuff for years, even yes. when she was still alive, you were going to Minnesota. She was living at your your lake houses in Minnesota. So you were spending, I mean, I remember weeks, I mean, yeah. vacation after vacation, you were going through stuff and trying to pare down. And yeah, a lot of it wasn't, it was, you know, old tennis balls. I mean, just oh things my God, that, yeah. that, just didn't have meaning. No. Um, And it was a lot of psychic weight. It was. And on a certain level, honestly, there's still stuff there that I I need to deal with. It's been um, five years, I think, Mm -hmm. since my stepdad died. And I moved my mom to L.A. and sort of took over the responsibility for uh, the house and the stuff. And the first year, I think two months of that year were spent there Every single day, you know, on and off. I wasn't there for two months straight. But every single day I was there just going through things and throwing things out. I got a dumpster. I mean, it really, you're right, it did take over my life. And it has been a big psychic burden um, for many years. And I'm very close to the end. I think there's some stuff in the garage that I have to deal with. There's a whole other (laughs) garage. (laughs) <laughs> a whole other garage of stuff. Um, but that's mostly just clearing out. And also right now, you know, yeah. we're moving into the office in my house. Yes, because we no longer have our office on the Disney lot. But yeah. You have a great office in your house that we want to use um, with whiteboards and um, chairs and a couch. However, it is <laughs> filled with not just your dad's stuff, but also some of your stuff. Yes, it needs some death cleaning in a big way. Um, yes, and what it, it makes me think of is I want to try to get rid of things as I go. Yes. Because when it accumulates the way right now you have some accumulated stuff of your own in the office, it then becomes just 
insurmountable. And we sort of look in there and I'm like, I'll help you. But then I'm like, oh, God. No, because what happened is I moved from my old house into my new house. All the stuff I didn't know what to deal with, I put in the office and closed the door. Yes. And now it's like, oh, wait, we need this space. Yes. I have to actually deal with this shit. Yes. So I think the key is not to wait until some time in life (laughs) to do it. (laughs) Right. But to really try to say, you know, do I want this? Yes. And Um, to acquire less. I mean, that's the key. That's what I'm really focusing on right now is acquiring less. It doesn't feel like it at the moment because it's Violet's birthday this week. So I'm acquiring. (laughs) Uh But in terms of myself, I am acquiring almost nothing. Yes, it's hard because I am one of those people where once I own something, I almost give it like lifelike qualities. Uh And I feel that it'll be hurt if I give it away. Like, I, I feel like I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. Um. I mean, I have shoes that I haven't worn in seven years, but I feel like, well, I don't want to get rid of those shoes. Um. And so that's why just not bringing it into the house yeah. is really the key. And there's um one other thing, which going to your sort of emotional attachment to your objects, something that I've been using recently is um, a Facebook group called Mm. the Buy Nothing Project. Ah. And there are Facebook groups specifically for neighborhoods. So mine is the North Hollywood group. I post something on that group, and if someone wants it, they can have it. And it makes everything so much easier because, one, it's like, oh, it's going to a person in my neighborhood. So I don't feel like I have that kind of like, where is it going? I love this thing. You know, I feel great about giving these things away. I'm giving a lot of Violet's toys and things that she's outgrown. And it's awesome. I know that there are kids in my neighborhood playing with these things. Oh, that's fantastic. And that helps me kind of release them. And Sarah, we cannot finish this segment without me mentioning Gretchen, my sister and the co-host of Dr. Gretchen Rubin, her new book about clearing clutter called Outer Order Intercom. Um, What's nice about it is that it tells you practically how to clear the clutter that philosophically you know you should clear. Like the Swedish, the art of Swedish death cleaning is really about why we should get rid of things. Gretchen's book will actually help you to do it. So yes. I really highly recommend it. Yes. And when I started the whole decluttering process in my house, her book was the thing that made me go, okay, I got this. I can do this. Yes. I'm just going to hold on to this book. Well, she did it get rid of everything with else. our office. Oh, I And know. thank goodness she did because we had a much easier time moving. Although I much. still think we need another, <laughs> another <laughs> Swedish death cleaning of our collective stuff. All right. Let's do it. Okay. Well, I'm interested to hear if our listeners uh, believe in the notion of Swedish death cleaning. Send us an email or a voice memo. We love to hear your voices to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Up next, Liz has another hair hack. (laughs) But first, this break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
Price and coverage match limited by state law. And now it's time for this week's Hollywood hack. And once again, it's on the subject (laughs) of hair because good hair matters. And Sarah, it is so elusive. Yes, sadly. Um, So you mentioned in episode 110 that there are a couple of hairstyling tools you've been using um, on the regular for all of these meetings we're having. But now you have something else for your meeting hair. Yes. So as I've said, I'm trying to do my own hair as much as I can, but sometimes I just can't do it or we have so many meetings that I I just want extra help. And I have recently discovered that Dry Bar has a new option. So to get a full blowout, I think it's $50 or 50 It's somewhere between $45 and $55. Well, now they have a $25 option that is a 20-minute session. So you come in with dry hair and they'll style it. So they'll cur- curl it or I'm sure smooth it with a hot iron or whatever, but they don't actually wash it. So it's much less time-consuming for them and for you. And it's much cheaper, $25. Mm, yes, this is a great idea. So like, I am going to try this uh-huh. and then I will report if it's, you know, if it works. Because okay. I always feel like I need a full blowout. Um, <laughs> but I'm, you know, I'm I'm hopeful that this is going to be a new option for me. Could be a breakthrough. Could be. So dry bar, $25, 20 minutes. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. For questions or comments, email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. And seriously, please subscribe if you haven't already. Thank you to Brooke Sickgraves-Turner for sharing her experience as a staff writer. You can follow Brooke on Instagram at Brooke Sickgraves. Thank you to our executive producer, the amazing Chuck Reed, and everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thank you to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Check out the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, and the new podcast from Whole30's Melissa Urban, Do The Thing. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram, at S. Fain, and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Well, since you guys are advertising that I am jobless, I'm also single. Oh, should we talk about uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's just get those suitors out here. <laughs> Be very That's careful, it. Brooke. <laughs> very careful. <laughs> From the Onward Project.